0: And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Welcome to Mom and Mind, where we dive into all aspects of perinatal mental health and wellness related to pregnancy, birth, loss, postpartum, and new parenthood. It's so much more than postpartum depression. We raise the volume on all of these topics in the hopes that someday everyone will have the support and info that they deserve before they need it. Please note this podcast is not a replacement for treatment by a professional or professional training. Welcome to Mom and Mind. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. We have a really interesting and special episode this week. We are talking with Nina Giles, who is the author of The Bridesmaid's Daughter, a deeply personal memoir about family, mental health, and revisiting the past. We are going to be able to hear perspective on what it was like as a child for Nina to grow up with a mother who had mental illness, and looking back on it, now knows that she had an untreated postpartum psychosis. Back then, there wasn't a lot of knowledge or support for mothers going through any type of perinatal crisis. And so we get to hear from Nina's perspective what it was like growing up and what she reflected on as an adult that she then shares with us through the bridesmaid's daughter. Nina is the youngest daughter of Carolyn Scott-Reibold, a Ford model best known as one of Grace Kelly's bridesmaids. Nina has worked with leading media organizations and today she is the COO of Giles Communications. She's an advocate for the mentally ill, traveling the globe to share her story, revealing the challenges brought on by her mother's untreated mental illness and her own lost childhood and education. Nina is a board member of NAMI Westchester and serves on the NAMI New York State Legislative Committee. She's also a volunteer with Postpartum Resource Center of New York. Nina lives in Westchester with her husband and has three grown children and three stepchildren. I hope that you will enjoy and learn from this fascinating story and reflection through the past and take some of these lessons with us into the future. Let's hear from Nina. Welcome, Nina. Thank you so much for being with us. Well, thank you for having me. I'm very interested in your story, hearing more about your book, and really fascinated, as I mentioned before we started recording, the kind of historical aspect and your experience as a daughter of someone who went through a postpartum mental illness. It's a perspective we haven't really been able to dig into yet here on the podcast, but I know it's something that a lot of people go through. So I'm really grateful that you're willing to come on and share your story. Thank you. Yeah, so I guess start wherever feels like the start to you. Well, I wrote my book, The Bridesmaid's Daughter, to
1: tell my mother's story. I knew that untreated mental illness was at the core, and I really wanted to uncover the truth to really fully understand and appreciate what my mother went through in a way that I could share with the world. In order to do that, I also had to face what happened to me as a child, which has been very painful to relive. Just a little background. My mother was a very successful Ford model in the late 1940s through the mid-1950s, best friend and bridesmaid to Grace Kelly. She led a very glamorous life, and it was really only after she passed away in 2007 that I was finally able to understand what had happened to go back to the past Mm -hmm. in search of the woman my mother had been before I was born. She was a small-town girl who made it big, Considered an icon of Steubenville, Ohio, she won a contest in 1947 that gave her the money to go to New York City, where she met a young Grace Kelly, and you know, it was there that she pursued a modeling career.
0: Fascinating. Mm-hmm. And what happened from there for her? Well, she was very successful. Her
1: career in modeling lasted about eight years. She was instantly recognizable by her face, if not her name, and she married my father. Actually, it was Grace that introduced my parents on a blind date. Mm -hmm. And they had a really good life. My two sisters, everything was fine. My mother went back to work after both of my sisters. And then they decided to build the dream house on Long Island. And at that point, you know, that isolated my mother and she gave up her career. Okay. So that represented a big change for her in her life.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. So at that point, you hadn't been born yet? No. So she was a little bit more isolated out there? Yes. I mean, they had a beautiful
1: home, five acres of waterfront property. Everything was wonderful. My, you know, sisters had all of the best, you know, things. They went to horseback riding classes and dance classes, and seemingly everything was fine. But so she had many of the risk Factors that would have contributed to developing, you know, postpartum health issues. The year that I was born was a very difficult one for my mother. My birth was traumatic. My mother was a petite 5'4. I was a 10 pound, 10 ounce baby. Oh. She had a C section, which was her third, and woke up to find out that she had also had a hysterectomy.
2: Oh, gosh.
1: She was in the hospital for more than a week. It seems to me, you know, what a been able to find out it could be about 10 days based on how long she was away she had you know given up her career isolated on Long Island her family was in Ohio her friends in New York City you know just far from everybody who would have noticed any changes in her behavior Mm -hmm. people would come to visit but the visits were short and that very same year, my mother found out that my father had an affair when I was just nine months old. Mm -hmm. So it was really the perfect storm of things, you know, going wrong in her life and not enough support. My father was really, you know, I've tried very hard to be fair to all sides of this story, but he really wasn't a supportive partner to her at all. Mm -hmm. And I think that contributed you know, some there's narcissistic types of behavior really mm. not helpful to her. And she knew there was something wrong. That year, she was secretly seeing a psychiatrist in the city. But when my father found out, he refused to pay for the visits, insisting that she see a psychiatrist of his choosing, oh, which she never did. Yeah. No. And then when I was a teenager, my father told me that we would have hated him if he had committed her. So instead, I was hidden away with her.
0: Wow. How do you mean? Can you say more about hidden away with her? Well, part
1: of my story really is my lack of formal education. Hmm. So in my mother's care, the only full year of education that I had was seventh grade, if you can imagine that.
3: Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? You'll come away with big-picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Hey there,
4: I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.
1: You know, think of all the things the child admits from not going to elementary school. No sense of accomplishment, no friendships, no sense of belonging and fitting in. I have no class pictures. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until I was 10 years old that there was a petition for educational neglect. But even that, you know, after that, it wasn't enforced. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I've explored with this you know, every possible avenue with therapists, the top mental health professionals, you know, this was not Munchausen syndrome by proxy. You could say I had school phobia, which would be accurate. But if I had been out of her care and influence, I would have been fine. I think I was afraid to leave her. I think I was worried about her. And so we were sort of trapped in this cycle of dysfunction, you know, where I probably said I had a stomach ache, and she would be overprotective and Mm -hmm. overreact to it.
0: This is from birth for you? In terms of like the stories you've heard and what people have told you, what you remember, her behavior was this way from birth?
1: Well, as far as like the very, very early years, you know, I did over a hundred interviews when I wrote the book. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I was able to go back to friends and family members. For instance, she would call my mother, I mean, my grandmother you know, talking about things that really sounded like psychosis that weren't real,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, and my sisters were six and eight years older than me, you know, so I learned a lot from them. And then I also have my school records, which were extensive, if you can imagine, because of all of the absences. Oh, God. And I also got my sister's school records and there were interesting notes in there as well. Mm hmm. And I was, you know, going back to friends, like a friend of my sister said, you are like a beautiful porcelain doll, a non-entity. You never left your mother's side. Mm.
0: These are people's observations and recollections. And was that your experience as well?
1: Yes. But I mean, as far as the very early years, you know, I had to rely on things I heard from other people and doctors and friends and all of that. And then, you know, but by age four or five, I do have my own
0: memories. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And in your book, do you go into some of that, what your memories were with her? Oh, yes. About my childhood? Mm Yeah. Yeah. Can you give us a little bit of a glimpse or perspective? I mean, it sounds like looking back, the kind of diagnosis, looking back in time as related to postpartum depression or postpartum psychosis. Is that accurate?
1: Yes. Well, I never really knew about that. I didn't know much about postpartum depression or postpartum psychosis. I never heard about it when I had my own children. But the biggest surprise, you know, in writing the book, the only diagnosis I had heard about my mother was paranoid schizophrenia, which she received in her 50s. Mm. And so how accurate could that really be? Mm -hmm. And so I was looking for an expert on schizophrenia, and that led me to Jeffrey Lieberman, Chair of Psychiatry at Columbia. And I was very fortunate to be able to spend time with him and sharing her story and everything that I knew because I thought maybe it was some special kind of schizophrenia or something because I knew, the one thing I knew from all of my interviews is that the change in my mother took place after my birth. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: It's so evident in the pictures. I asked people if they noticed anything before I was born and it was all afterwards.
0: Hmm. Okay, With I guess with that as a context, you know, of understanding what might have been going on for her, what was it like for you, if you can give a couple of examples of things you share, uh, what was it like for you as a child?
1: Well, as a child, I never felt really connected with her. I never felt that I had the same bond with her that my sisters had. My mother even told me that in the hospital she couldn't hold me, and that was because of the massive incision. Mm-hmm you know, that she would have had because of that surgery. Oh, sure. And in my memory, she's just always there, but turning away. I don't have this feeling of ever really being connected with her. Mm. But I don't think of it as something where she didn't love me or anything like that. I just feel like she just didn't have it to give because she, you know, she was really not well.
0: Well, Did you get that sense as a child that she wasn't well? Yeah. Mm
1: -hmm. And things, you know, there were things that she said, and, you know, it
0: changed as I got older, because I
1: started to challenge things that she'd been telling me, Mm -hmm. you know, that just didn't make sense. Mm -hmm. She would say things, you know, even when I was very young, she would say things like, they said, Mm -hmm. or, you know, well, who's they? And I could never get an answer. But I didn't understand that. Sure, sure. And then, you know, she would, you know, there were things that happened when I was very young where she'd just pick up and take me, you know, in the middle of the night, on you know, to see her mother. Just Mm -hmm. things that were really very odd. It did not feel, as a child, like a safe... I never felt really safe for my emotions or there's always this fear growing up. I grew up with a lot of fear, and I think that's related to what she was going through. Mm -hmm. Part of it, you know, also not being in a good marriage (laughs) Mm -hmm. oh sure. the way that my father treated her. I did growing up witness examples of violence, you know.
0: Right. So the home environment itself wasn't safe. And then also the feeling with your mom specifically wasn't of safety.
1: Yeah. It was a lot of uncertainty and things, you know, just not making sense. I was very clingy at a very young age Mm -hmm. and I don't think she encouraged me to separate. Uh, but it, it's so complicated because at the same time, I didn't feel close to her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's very, it took years to kind of work through that.
0: Right. I'm sure. I mean, there's only so much you can know as a child there's just no way to have the context for what is actually going on until you're older and can put those pieces together. Right. Right. So in terms of how her untreated mental illness impacted you as a child, this is, I mean, these are like, foundational and fundamental years to have a connection like that that feels necessary but not totally safe. Mm -hmm. Over time, I guess, how did that impact you as you went through childhood? Well,
1: being home all of that time and not being in school, I mean, that had a tremendous impact. You know, it's taken me years. People will say now, oh, you're so well-adjusted, you're so fun. you're social, you're this, you're that. But It took me years of pretending that I was okay, and I really wasn't okay. Sure. And I had a lot of social anxiety when I was younger, even in my 20s, even after I was away from her. I actually left home at age 14 because at that point, my sister, who left very young also, Mm. came home for a visit and she sat me down and she, you know, she said, you know, that my mother wasn't well. And she said, do you realize that you were never sick all those years? That you should have been in school.
2: Mm.
1: And once somebody said it out loud, there was no way I could go back. Oh, um, sure. It wasn't about being angry at her, really. I just couldn't be with her. Yeah, she was still part of my life. It took, you know, time to work through all of it because I really didn't understand mental illness and what it was doing to her. Sure.
0: And then I imagine nobody around her did either. No. In those days, nobody talked about it. It was
1: something that you stayed away from. And so, you know, again, I think it started after I was born and she never got the treatment. So she just continued to decline over the years, you know, her mental health.
0: That's hard. Um, we
1: did have a nanny when I was very young. And I think maybe that helped her get maybe it would have been worse this scenario, if Mm -hmm. she hadn't at least had
0: that. So that you had mentioned before, she tried to go to a psychiatrist or she did go to a psychiatrist. So somebody kind of made some sort of assessment. She was taking medication at the time?
1: I really don't know. I remember hearing about Valium and, you know, but I really can't be sure about any of that. Mm -hmm. How she was being treated, you know, I just don't, those records I don't.
0: Yeah. Sure. So she knew something was going on and was trying to attend to it the best that she could. Yeah. Oh, gosh. And um, So, I mean, the home life was complicated. It, it sounds like when you're talking about it, there was a lot of you and her, but your sister was oh, yes. around somewhere and your dad was around somewhere. But the main thing was how much, well, I guess this is my perspective on that, how much she needed you around.
1: Yes. I mean, I think... There's something to be said about that. I know my therapist, actually, she was in ordinary circumstances. Mother would not want the trouble of her whole day.
2: Mm-hmm. Right.
1: But I think we sort of kept each other company in a way. And I think she was very lonely and very sad. And yeah, my sisters were six and eight years older. So for them, it was completely different. My father worked in the city. And then really wasn't around much. At a certain point, he started just staying in the city. He had an office and he would just stay there. He didn't want to deal with her. He even told me that he would literally pull over on the side of the road and throw up before he came home. That's how stressful it was. And he never knew, you know, who he was coming home to. But during that time, there were people on the outside that wouldn't have even known.
0: Was your mom's behavior around other people different than it was at home? I think she,
1: you know, she could sort of hold it together, but she didn't get involved. She was not involved with the school. Mm-hmm. She didn't make new friends. There was only one friend that I remember that we spent time with, and that's it. You know, She really didn't participate a lot. She was just there. In mm-hmm. fact, a neighbor of ours called her the little woman down the hill.
0: Raise your hand if you take a multivitamin and then raise your hand if you know what's in it. What about taking a multivitamin where you can actually see what's in it? Ritual is the obsessively researched multivitamin designed for women by women. It contains nine nutrients that are difficult to get enough of every day even with a healthy diet. Instead of taking a handful of five to eight vitamins, Ritual makes it easy with two capsules a day. Order online at ritual.com for around $1 a day. Ritual is delivered to your door monthly so you can stay on track with your new healthy habit. Ritual is traceable and transparent. They search the globe for the best Players and are transparent about where they source their ingredients. If you want to know more, you can find everything on the website. Easy, all-in-one, everything I want. That's why Ritual is the daily vitamin I choose. When I take my vitamins in the morning with my food, I know what I'm getting throughout the day to help me stay on top of it all. You can try Ritual today because you'll get an exclusive offer for 10% off your first three months. Visit ritual.com momandmind and to start your ritual today. That's 10% off your first three months at ritual.com momandmind and mind. Just really, really isolated and isolating yeah. you with her, which I'm sure impacted a lot. And once when you're in your own head in that kind of a way and then also isolated, it's really hard to be kind of checked by reality or what would the rest of us assume is reality. Yeah. It's a hard place to be in because you're like double isolated, uh, both just internally and literally. That's really hard. So, this was years. I mean, years until you left, but also years afterwards.
1: Yes. So, I left at age 14, and, you know, there was a settlement a few years later, a divorce settlement. She had an apartment in the city. And then I lived in the Virgin Islands as a teenager. I went from age 17 to 20. So, I only saw her once during that time, maybe. She came to visit with my sister. And then sort of after that point, you know, when I was in my 20s and, you know, married and having children, when things really got bad with her, she gave away all of her money. And eventually after wandering, it doesn't, you know, when somebody becomes homeless, I don't think it necessarily happens overnight, Mm -hmm. but she found herself 1985 and she had been taken to the hospital because she was having some kind of psychotic episode Mm -hmm. and Uh, It was Kings County Psychiatric Hospital in New York, and they sent her to a shelter at the New York Armory, the Park Avenue Armory, or now I guess it's called Lenox Hill Neighborhood House, and they have a shelter there for women 55 and older with a diagnosis of mental illness.
2: Hmm.
1: And she was there for quite some time, but she refused medication and you know, offers to help with housing. People offered her places to live, but she would just give her things away. And mm-hmm. it's so sad because at that point, it was so late to start treating her. I just believe firmly that if she had been treated the year after I was born, it would have changed the trajectory of our family's entire
0: life. Oh, you yeah. are 100% right. And she sure would have had the help she needed. it's really, really hard to look back and see that, that things could have been so different for all of you.
1: It's very painful. And I will say, you know, people always say when you write a book like this, has it, you know, been cathartic? And it has, I think it's given me a chance to be the best me that I can be the most authentic, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm not ashamed of what happened. I'm not ashamed that I didn't go to school or what happened with my mother. I can talk about it openly in that very empowering. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you know, and as an advocate, I live in that space of pain, you know, a lot. And it's, it's hard, but it's just balance. You have to balance it and limit how much you allow yourself to feel that pain. That's what I do. I look at it like that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that sounds really, really healthy. And like you said, it sounds like Mm -hmm. you took some work to get to that point. Yeah, there's a lot of things to figure out before you can get to that point. So you were saying a little bit before that while you were having kids, this was going on for your mom, she was in the shelter. What was that like for you becoming a mother with, you know, reflecting back on your time with your own mom and and how did your transition to motherhood go for you?
1: Well, I think I always wanted to be a mother. And I think there was this part of me that just wanted to be a good mother. I wanted to be the PTA mother, the mother I never had. I was a stay-home mom. Until my youngest was five, and I really had that opportunity. You know, class, class mother of all three kids, classes at the Mm -hmm. same time, Mm -hmm. making the cupcakes, you know, helping with the homework, and doing all of, you know, birthday parties and everything that I felt that I didn't have, and I enjoyed every minute of it. And today, you know, my kids are 27 to 35, three kids, and I have three stepchildren as well, and I'm close with every single one of them, you know, talk to them almost every day. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But as a mother, so initially it was just exciting and wonderful and all of that. But when my kids became school age, Mm -hmm. then we started to have some problems because I started thinking, wait a minute, you know, I started thinking about all those years where I just sort of buried it and I just went on to survive in survival mode. And so I got my school records when my two oldest, well, they were like maybe five and two and a half, mm-hmm. you know, one just going into kindergarten. And I told my husband, I have to go to Long Island. I have to get my school records. I need to understand what happened to me. It can't be as bad as I remember.
2: Mm.
0: But wow. It was worse. Oh, no. It was actually worse. Wow. Yeah,
1: well, I mean, 175 days, that's the equivalent of one school year. So I would go to school for 30 days, you know, maybe 45 on a good year, and then just not go back or one year not go at all. That part was very painful with my kids because I just look at them and I couldn't understand how could that happen? How did my father allow it? Right.
5: I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell, Laughing in the Face of Motherhood.
3: Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct.
4: Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs)
0: Yeah. And nobody was checking and checking on you, seeing if you were okay or.
1: They tried, but in such a lame way, really. I mean, they would call the house. They, you know, and then when they pushed her hard, she'd take me to a doctor, you know, and just say, well, she oh. hasn't been feeling well. And some of the things she talked to me about, I'm sure that those were delusions, you know, internal mm-hmm. bleeding and bizarre things that she oh. said that I had. Mm-hmm. But it was never something that she caused. That to me is a very important distinction. Sure. It wasn't yeah. like she was poisoning me or giving me yeah. a feeding tube or saying I needed unnecessary surgeries. It wasn't like that
0: at right. all. Right. She So all delusions. You were, from other people's account, I guess from what your sister said, you were never sick all those years.
1: Yeah, that just, floored me because nobody had ever said it out loud. I was Mm -hmm. essentially living a lie. How do you, as a young child, internalize that and understand it? And how did I even know? Right. I talk about an example in the book where it was, you know, it was like the first day of school and I told my mother, you know, I had chest palpitations. I could hear my heart beating and she said, you know, I can hear it too. And the next thing I know, we're going to a cardiologist. Mm -hmm. That's not normal. Mm -hmm. You know, most parents would just say, you're nervous. It's okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yes.
0: Okay. So you you spent about I believe you said about five years researching and writing and going through all of this information and discovery. What are the things that you came away with for yourself in all of this discovery?
1: Well, most important was to understand, you know, what really happened to my mother. And, you know, I believe the meeting with Jeffrey Lieberman really clarified that for me, because when I shared everything with him, he said, you know, you're not describing schizophrenia, What you've described to me is, you know, are the symptoms of postpartum psychosis. And if she was never treated, she would have just continued to deteriorate. So one of the things that was very helpful in understanding what happened to my mother, I spoke with one of the leading experts on postpartum psychosis, Dr. Diana Barnes. And she said that as a model, your mother's whole persona was about femininity and beauty. So the hysterectomy would have been particularly hard for her, that she would have felt that she lost part of what made her a woman. She also had asked me if my mother experienced any trauma in childhood. And at least six people from different areas of my mother's life told me that they thought that she was sexually abused by her stepfather.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: So, you know, that definitely would have been a risk factor. And, you know, also I spoke with my OBGYN and he said, after such a traumatic surgery, it's highly unlikely that your mother could have escaped some kind of postpartum depression.
0: Yeah, especially with a hysterectomy and all that like sudden hormonal shift, if she already, you know, was in this like fragile state. Right. Yeah, that
1: that my birth was the fork in the road, you know, the turning point in her life from which she never recovered and through no fault of her own.
0: Right. Thank you for adding that in. Right. I'm sure back then, too, if people were talking, it was all about, like, you know, blaming her or shaming her. Oh, absolutely. Unfortunately, hasn't shifted a whole lot other than, you know, those of us who know know better. But the general public still does this. Mm hmm. Yeah.
1: And the interesting thing is that I had saved a magazine about the Andrea Yates story from years ago. And I don't save magazines, but that story just had such an impact on me. And I remember thinking, I just understood what it was like, you know, for a mother to have delusions, you know, and really believe yeah. them. And so I I just couldn't look at her as a monster. I wanted to help her, comfort her, because I just thought, I understand how it could be that real. And, you know, I couldn't even talk to anybody about it at the time. Mm-hmm. And the beautiful thing is that I actually met George Parnum at the PSI conference, not this year, but last year. And
2: oh, I intention. had a chance
1: to share. Yeah, I had a chance to share those feelings with him, which was really meaningful mm-hmm. to me. And. Yeah, so.
0: Well, that's phenomenal. I mean, you've uncovered so much of her story in a way, kind of put her together in a way that she couldn't do for herself to make sense of things that she was lost in. It's it's like quite a feat yeah. and speaks to, you know, speaks to even though things were difficult, your connection in some way. In some way. and.
1: You know, it's been a wonderful thing to, you know, part of what I did was I researched her career and mm. now I can feel proud of her instead of being ashamed of this mother that lived in a shelter. You know, now I just have such a different feeling about her. I feel so much love towards her and am proud of what she accomplished as a young woman. If I hadn't gone on this journey, I never would have been able to have those feelings, which are really important to my well-being.
0: Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And it's quite a dream. I'm really grateful that you've done this for multiple reasons. One, I'm just so happy for you that you have this like sense of peace in relation to your mom. And also it is beneficial to the rest of us to really get a sense of, you know, for those of us who are, you know, having kids now or people who had parents with mental illness that they couldn't quite figure out what was going on. I mean, it just you're giving context to, I'm sure, a lot of people that might be helpful for them in their own healing journey.
1: I hope so. I have gotten a lot of messages from people, you know, and it just makes you feel so good if you can help somebody else, because every story is so unique and every perspective is important.
0: Yeah, yeah, it absolutely is. I'll be sure to direct everybody to all of your links and to be able to find information about the book and the website and so they can read through all the beautiful work you've done. But it would also be great before we close up to hear from you what you really hope people hear and what you'd like to leave people with today.
1: I believe when it comes to mental health, we can all help by engaging in real conversations and asking if somebody's okay, if they appear to be struggling. You know, even when the journey to write my book got too dark, a good friend of mine encouraged me to see a a therapist. And, you know, the smallest act can change someone's life. And, you know, with mothers and children, I, you know, see it all the time, you know, where people, all the attention goes to the baby, you know, we need to pay attention to mothers and ask them how they're doing. And, you know, for me, from being on this journey, when I see mothers, I really see them now. I, I know in a different way.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And I appreciate, you know, everything that mothers do.
0: Yeah. Thank you for that. It seems simple enough to really ask a question, like, how are you really doing? And to keep a close eye, Mm -hmm. but wow, it doesn't happen enough. And people are still slipping through the cracks. So I appreciate your perspective there and hope that people can hear that and use that. It's simple, but effective. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I thank you so much for your time. I will direct everyone to your website where they can find more information about the book and see some of the interviews you've done. And again, thank you so much for your time and for all of the work you put into this and for letting us see a glimpse into your life and your mom's life. Thank you so much. Thank you once again, Nina, for taking us on this journey with you. And I know there are so many more Details in this memoir that I'm sure so many people can resonate with. For the listeners, if you'd like to learn more, go to thebridesmaidsdaughter.com and get this book. You can also connect with Nina on Facebook and Instagram at Nina Giles Author or find her on Twitter. I'm sure there are other experiences that you all listeners have had of having a parent with untreated perinatal mental health challenges. I hope Nina's story serves as comfort and education and information to you. For those of you who are new to the Mom and Mind podcast, please do subscribe so you can get each of these episodes downloaded to you directly when they come out. And be sure to share these episodes with people who could benefit from them so they know that they're not alone in their journey either. Thank you for being with us. Until next time. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please share this podcast. Together, we can support moms and families so that no one has to deal with this alone. Come connect with us at momandmind.com.